Well, good morning. It's great to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, Dan, worship team, thank you so much for taking us into the Word through song. What a wonderful job. Dan did a great job this morning. And just imagine if he played that guitar with his right hand. I mean, you know, the wrong hand the whole time, and it was great. So good job there. Hey, I will say this, just a real quick comment. You know this about him. He's a kind soul. Uh, this morning uh, was my host here this morning, was very kind, gracious, helped me uh, get sorted out in a new place. So I appreciate that so much, brother. Uh, real kindness there to me. Hey, I don't, I don't know if you know about, there's a little bit of a, you know, problem trying to find a, a speaker for today and just trying to sort it out. And so they just gave a call up to Cedarville University where I teach and they just said, um, what we need, can we have like the best preacher at Cedarville University? And, and they said no. Uh, and so then they, they called again and just, well, how about, you know, just, uh, you know, can we have like the best Bible teacher at Cedarville University, and they said no. And so then they said, can we have an evangelist, one of the best evangelists there at Cedarville University, come and speak? And they said no. And then I said yes, and so I'm here today, mainly because I couldn't say no four times. And some of you will get that at lunch. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. That has nothing to do with, that's not reality at all. But I just thought it'd be fun, have a little fun together. Let's look in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is indeed a privilege to be here, uh, Romans 8, 9 through 17. By starting in Romans 8 uh, and verse 9, there's a couple of backgrounds I'll have to give you. I'll give you a background to the book up to Romans 8, and then I'll have to do so for the first uh, few verses of Romans 8 so we can get up in verse 9. So I want us to start reading this morning uh, from verse 9 of Romans 8. We'll read through verse 17. And then again, I'll give you a little background on the text in case you haven't been reading through Romans recently, just as a refresher. And as we do so, we're going to talk about the life-giving spirit, the, the spirit that is available to all who have believed because the spirit has come to dwell in us. We sang about that this morning, and that spirit is a life-giving spirit. So Romans 8, beginning in verse 9. I'll be reading from the ESV, so if you have a slightly different translation, or if you're a new believer and just picked up a Bible, not sure, you'll be able to follow along just fine, but I'm reading from the ESV, verse 9, Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who, who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we have a few moments 
in this, your word this morning. We ask that you would tune out, help us to tune out all the other things that are uh, running through our minds. Instead, hear from you, from your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit available and in all Christians. And so, Lord, as we talk about this sweet and precious gift from you, Father, we thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, a quick review. I'm a professor, so of course I have to give reviews for the exam. You did know there was an exam at the end this morning, right? No, that's a few more weeks. Hang in there if you're like, hey, I'm a school break. I don't do tests. That's fine. I'm there too. So we'll just do a little review for no exam whatsoever, okay? Romans chapter 1 verses, uh, sorry, Romans chapters 1 through 4 is ultimately God's way through Paul as the author to set up this whole story of what humanity is. And if you read through those chapters, what you're going to find is that everyone breathing is a sinner. <laughs> so in Romans 1, he starts off with how uh, all of humanity is some, somehow gone against God's original design, His purposes and the, the reasons why He made creation and humanity specifically. They've gone against that. They've, they've gone against the conscience that God's put in people and they've rejected His plan and His way and they've hardened themselves to that. If you keep reading, you'll see that some are doing so as non-religious. So they're non-religious folks, and they're not interested in anything related to God or religion. But then there's even some of those who are religious in their, in their background and their upbringing who ultimately do the same things. They, they, break the, they transgress or break the commands of God. And by doing so, everyone ends up being a sinner. The difference is those righteous people sometimes try to cover that sin with self-righteous excuses. They we, they, uh, sometimes often present ourselves as, as better than we are. We try to sort of downplay the fact that we're still in this ongoing battle with sin. And so whether religious or non-religious, ultimately all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's a hope. The hope for sinners, and, and that's everyone, right? Everyone who's breathing. And so there's a, there's a hope, and the hope is that the righteousness of Christ would be applied to anyone who believes. That God has set it up in His great mercy that if you would believe in the Savior Christ, His Son, that you can be made righteous. And even a feeble faith like Abraham's, and that's the example that Paul uses in Romans chapter 4, the example of Abraham and his faith, which is, if you remember Abraham and the story from Genesis, he wasn't always just doing things just awesome, right? He, he lied about some things, he made some wrong turns along the way, but what we saw consistently, if you read through those texts in Genesis about Abraham, was his faith. And so then Paul uses him in Romans 4 as an example. Even that feeble faith that God would keep His promises, even to Abraham, for a son who would come, a Christ who would come and rescue. A feeble faith like that is credited as righteousness. What a great joy to be able to think about that text. Well, Romans 5 picks up that story. Romans 5 focuses then on the great mercy of God. And it's because of His great mercy that God loves sinners. And he does not pour out his wrath on them, even though that's exactly what they deserve. If they have believed in Christ because of his great mercy, instead of wrath, they will receive something amazing. We'll get to that in just a moment. In, verse, in chapter 6, we see that 
One, that believers are rescued from their sin. This is good news for us, that our sin that has so predominated our life, we have a rescue, and that rescue is because of our faith in Christ. And so, we are rescued from our sin, but also, not only that, that sin, those sins we committed, but the death that we deserve. You see, all humans, all those who are breathing, have committed sin, and that sin leads to death, and so therefore we deserve death. But God in His mercy has rescued us from those two great enemies in Romans chapter 6 of sin and death. This is good news. Paul's taking his time through that good news to let us know that if we are, if if we've died with Christ, we're buried in our baptism, then we are also raised with Christ like his resurrection. We too are raised to new life. So our sin is dealt with and dying with Christ and our death problem is dealt with by his resurrection. And then over in chapter 7, there's a, a question that Paul kind of, if you would, stops and deals with before he comes back to this idea of the great provisions of the gospel. In chapter 7, he, he sets up this situation of, well, what if, what if you were trying to live the Christian life without the Spirit? That wouldn't go well because knowing and doing the will of God are two different things. And this is all of our testimony, even as believers, right? We, we may know the will of God from the Scriptures. We may know the will of God from good teaching around us. But knowing the will of God and doing the will of God are often two different things. So the thing that we know to do, oftentimes we don't do that thing. And so Paul talks about if we, if we as Christians and believers had to live the Christian life without the Spirit, we would never make it. We would never be able to do it. Instead, we would have this inner battle that would destroy us. See, this inner battle of walking with God is an ongoing struggle because we have natural bodies. Some of us limped in a little bit this morning. and Some of us kind of glided in because we're feeling great. But whatever it is, these natural bodies are a constant reminder to us that we've not yet received all that is promised to us as believers in Christ. And so we long for, groan for, those things to happen. That inner struggle helps us remember that we need to be delivered from our sinful flesh. I don't know how your week was, how this month has been so far, but if you took the time and reflected honestly on that, there would probably be various things. You can look back in the recent past that will remind you that we all need deliverance from this sinful flesh. So what Paul's writing to the Roman church in this, in this letter is not just for them, but is also for us. And we see that as he now turns the, the page to Romans 8. These first eight verses, what, what, what Paul does is he sees that, shows us that, that believers now live, in a li- live a life of freedom because of Christ. It's been given to us by the Spirit. We don't have to live the Christian life without the Spirit. Instead, we've received the Spirit. And so, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is great news for us. The Spirit is living in us, giving us life. This is what we know and have because of God's mercy to us. And what the Spirit does, the Spirit unites us to Christ so all the benefits that are His now belong to us. 
So if you would think of it this way, there's this big pile of Christ. Christ's righteousness, Christ's life, Christ's obedience, Christ's sonship, all these things that belong to him because of who he is and what he has done. These are all his. And over here there's a pile that's a pile of us. And what we have and we bring to the table, if you would, it's our sin, our unrighteousness, death, strangers and aliens and rebels to God. And what happens is when we have faith in Christ, we're united to Him by the Spirit so that all the things that belong to His pile apply to us, count for us. And what the Spirit does is the Spirit constantly keeps us connected to that because I, don't, I didn't just need life and righteousness back then when I was nine and prayed and received Christ in my life. I still need it now. I still need Christ's righteousness working in me, conforming me to the image of God. And this is what the Spirit does, and we can see that in Romans 8. So sin is a part of our bodily nature, but we don't live in this body forever. You can see that, by the way, back in Romans 7 as well. So back in chapter 6, verse 8, we see that believers have died to our sin and now have been made alive for a life for God. And in 8, Romans 8, verse 5, it says this way. Since we've been made alive by the Spirit, we should set our minds on the things of the Spirit. So with that introduction and background, let's, let's look now at verse 9 and following and see the, the great promises that are available to us, the great benefits. Because what Paul's doing in this section is that he's explaining the benefits of life in the Spirit. And oftentimes we remember, and rightly so, the great work of Christ for us when he was here on this earth in his obedient life, his sacrificial death, his humble death for us and our sins, his powerful resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the Father, and we long for his return to receive us and rescue us. That's the work of Christ. But oftentimes we forget the great work of the Spirit in the meantime. Remember when Jesus was gathered with his disciples in the upper room the day before he was to be crucified. He told them, I'm going from here, but don't be worried. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, and I'm going to send another helper who will come alongside you so that when I come again, I will receive you to myself, but this helper will guide you into truth and will comfort you and give you strength and endurance, will help you to persevere in this faith. That a helper is the Spirit. And if that's the case, here's the benefits. You can see them perhaps on the slide behind me there. If the Spirit dwells in you, this is number one, if the Spirit dwells in you, then you are truly alive. We'll see that in verses 9 through 11. And secondly, if we have the Spirit, we've been adopted then into God, God's family. So then as God's children, we live in His image. Sort of a family resemblance, if you would. That's in verses 12 through 15. And then here, third and finally, the Spirit confirms that we are God's children and share in the inheritance of the Son, Christ. And we'll see that in verses 16 through 17. So let's take these verses and look at them. Verse 9, Paul writes, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ 
does not belong to him. Uh, let me just remind you of something we, we've said already, but you, if you've been reading through Romans, you remember this as well, that no Christian can live the Christian life without the Spirit. There's nothing, there's not enough good in us to do that. We don't have enough strength. We don't have enough righteousness. We don't have enough, if you would, willpower to be able to walk that Christian life without the Spirit. But the good news is we don't have to do that. Instead, the Spirit comes to dwell in the believer. This is what happens. If Again, go back to, to John chapter 6 and 7, what Jesus says that if you believe in me, then you will receive the Spirit. And what the Spirit then does is dwell in us as believers and does this great work. He makes us a new living creation. John, in the, in the Gospel of John, it's described as fountains of water flowing out from us, giving us constant life. That's the work of the Spirit in us, causing us to live the sweet and precious life that we've been given. There is no such thing as a Christian without the Spirit. Let me just say that again, because sometimes there's some groups out there that might think of this differently. And if they could just go back and read more carefully here in Romans and also back in John, what they would see is this point right here, that there is no such thing as a Christian without the Spirit. So if you have accepted Christ, the Spirit has come to dwell in you. So then we need to ask, for what end? What is the Spirit doing as He dwells in us? And that's what we'll see. And if you have faith in Christ then, the Spirit lives in you. And I said this a moment ago, I tried to describe this constantly, continually connecting you to the benefits of Christ. The Spirit is the glue. As Paul says, the seal, the guarantee that all of these things which are Christ, His life, His righteousness will count for you. That's how the Spirit guarantees it. This is why it doesn't depend on our strength or our ability or our our, our willingness to keep uh, some sort of righteousness. But the Spirit binds us to Christ so that we might live this Christian life to reflect Him. Verse 10 continues. This is what he says. Not, not if, it's not as if you're separated from Christ, but if Christ is in you by His Spirit. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin. And there, Paul's drawing on the whole host of the Old Testament, meaning that because there was sin introduced in the world by Adam and Eve and their choice, after that, death came. And that death affects everybody. Not just everybody, but everybody is destined for death. And so if that's the case, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit that lives in us unites with our spirit, giving us life because of righteousness. Sin brought death. Christ's righteousness brings life. We can actually enjoy this life. Notice what he says in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So let me pause. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, how would that happen? You've believed in Christ. If you have believed in Christ, You believe that God has raised him from the dead so that he died for your sins and he has been raised from the dead. If you have confessed Jesus as Lord, all this is Romans 10, a couple chapters from here. 
If you've done that and you have received Christ as Savior, then the Spirit dwells in you. So now pick up in verse 11 again. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through through His Spirit who dwells in you. (laughs) What an amazing promise of resurrection. This is what it's saying in short. Because you have believed, the Spirit dwells in you. And if the Spirit dwells in you, the Spirit will not die. The Spirit will not die. And so therefore, you who have been now united to Christ won't die either in that spiritual way. Instead, another another way to put it is, Christ died and He was raised. And now you have shared in His death by dying to your old self. And you are also going to share in His resurrection. Just as sure as his, rex- his resurrection happened, your resurrection will happen. So believer, let me just say it another way. If you believe that Christ has been raised from the dead, and so therefore are a Christian, then you can also know for certain that you will be raised from the dead. This is This is great news. Remember, it doesn't count on us. It's the Spirit. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, by that same Spirit, will give life to your mortal bodies. Though we deserve that death. Remember, that's Romans 1 through 4. We all deserve that death. So God is rescuing us from something that we do indeed deserve. Instead, we have already begun to experience eternal life. See, eternal life is not just something that happens after we die. Why? Because the Spirit of life already lives in us. We're already getting that first taste, that first fruit. We're beginning to sample what it means to live not bound up in this old sinful body and sinful nature that's drawn to those things that are destructive, but we're already beginning to taste. Hey, there's a desire in my heart for something good. It's a desire in my heart for something to look like God. It's a desire in my heart to submit myself to Him. Those are the first taste, the fruit and the Spirit at work in us. Over in Galatians, it's described as humility and gentleness and peace and love and self-control. These are the things that the Spirit's working in us that will ultimately, be, ultimately hang in there, ultimately be what we look like all the time after we're glorified and resurrected. Won't that be a great day? Where you'll be you, but you'll be you now made new. That's a lot of you's there, so let me try it again. That you'll be you, but you'll be you made new. That is an awesome day. What a glorious day to look forward to. But that is not something we just look forward to. We begin to sample it now. How many of you like cake? I like cake. I like lots of cake. It's a problem. But I like cake. You know what I also like? Cake batter. Also a problem, but cake batter. My wife's making cake. She's a great baker. She's making a cake. Some of you are self-controlled. Praise be to God. Some of you are patient. Wonderful. I don't know those people. Okay? In my house, we're always sneaking. So, hey, what's that, a rabbit? You know, and taking the, you know, the batter and just licking it a little bit. That's called that first taste. That's first fruits. I'm already enjoying that. Before the cake's ever in the oven, I'm already enjoying it. Now, later on, when it's cake... Especially her pound cake. Wow. But when it's cake and she makes some of Aunt, Fu- uh, Aunt Ruby's fudge sauce to go on top of it, a little ice cream next to it, 
Bam! Now that's what we're waiting on. That's the great thing. But you know what? I've already begun to taste it. And it's in helping create some anticipation. I'm actually willing to eat the vegetables in the meantime so that I can get to that finished product. Even my kids are willing to eat the vegetables waiting for that finished product. Watch out, preacher. You may not be telling the truth there. But my point is this. This is what the Christian life is like. We know what the final product is and we don't have to just wait for it. We get the first taste. The Spirit begins to work in us. And what that allows us to do is to endure with patience the vegetables of life. The sufferings and the struggles and the trials of life. Why? Because I know I've already tasted that first fruit. So I can long for and look for that good thing that God is going to do. And I'm always being carried along there by the work of the Spirit who's constantly renewing, encouraging comforting me along the way. We are now experiencing eternal life through the Spirit due to our faith that's united us to Christ, His righteousness in life. Do you see that there? Verse, end of verse 10, His righteousness. In verse 11, His life. Life now then, life now, and then after, after death, resurrection. Let's see now in verses 12 and 13. Paul then if you would, teases out further implications of this, the Spirit living in us. So he says, so then, brothers, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, living according to the flesh. If you've been reading through Ephesians recently, you know that we were once dead in our sin and our trespasses, and we were walking in that way. We, we lived that way because that's how we were. We were debtors to the flesh. We lived in the flesh. But Paul here in Romans is saying, but now because we have believed and have the Spirit live in us, we're not debtors to the flesh, but instead to, living, to live according to the Spirit. If you, according to the, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, the previous verses have been reminding us that the, this work of future resurrection is enabled by the Spirit's work in our lives, His presence and power in us. But we live now in this mortal body, and so we have to constantly renew to put to death those old things, put them away, put them off. These are all language from Paul in Romans and in Ephesians and in Colossians. Put those things away. Put those things off. Put away those things that belong to the flesh. In Colossians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 4, he keeps coming back to that same point. There is an old way of living according to that old nature. Put it to death. Put it away. Put it off. And instead, put on the new self. Put on this new life. Walk now in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You see, there is a powerful thing in our flesh, right? There's a powerful tendency in our flesh to be drawn. And sometimes, hey, this is our testimony, all of us. This is our experience, all of us. There are some times where that deep and dark and sinister power of the flesh seems so powerful, it seems overwhelming for us, and to the point that we wonder, don't we just have to give, isn't it inevitable that we give in to this? That's how powerful, foreboding it is for us, right? 
That's our testimony. Hang in there. There's a power that is in you that's greater than the power of that flesh. There's a power that is powerful enough to resurrect from the dead. That power is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can beat that flesh. The Spirit, not your willpower, but the Spirit can kill, put away, put to death, crush. All those things that the flesh would have you do. So the next time you face temptation, it's not inevitable that you would give in to it. With every temptation, there is a way out. And that way out is provided by the Spirit. Remember when Jesus was led, this is Matthew chapter 4, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Jesus faced that temptation just like we do. Remember that Hebrews tells us that, that he was tempted in all the ways. He struggled and suffered and felt the pressures of life just like we do, yet without sin. The reason that we can defeat sin and the reason there's an escape in every temptation It's because the spirit that lives in you, believer, is more powerful than the inclinations of the flesh. We have a great enemy who has schemed against us. See Ephesians 4 through 6 on that one. He has schemed against us and his desire is to still kill and destroy you. He wants to wreck your life. He wants to wreck your future. He wants to wreck your home. He wants to wreck your relationships. That evil one is evil and powerful and dark. And he will be defeated by the great power that's within us. The power of God. Not our own power. Not our own doing. But the power of Christ in us. And Paul's trying to make that point over and over again in his letters. Here in Romans 8, he calls it this in this phrase. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. By the Spirit. Let the Spirit submit yourself to the Spirit. In Galatians 5, it's if you'll walk by the Spirit then you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Hey, let's look over in verse 14 and 15. As Paul here now turns to this immense blessing of being a son and daughter of Christ, of of God, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Yes, the Spirit is dwelling in us and therefore we're not debtors to the flesh, but instead we're now God's children. We belong to Him. There's a, there's a need then by the, being a child of God that the Spirit is in us and we now belong then to God's family. There are family traits and family blessings that now should be ours. I have uh, six children. My daughter, the oldest one, is married. She's married recently, lives up in Springfield. Then I have five others. And my two oldest boys, one's just finished college, one's uh, just finished high school. For a long time, they've been uh, sometimes confused by people or they think they have a real resemblance. The oldest one's name's Hayden, and the younger one's name's Little Hayden. It's not really little Hayden, but that's what everybody calls him because he looks so much like his brother. So there's some resemblance. Uh, a couple weeks ago, they worked at the little uh, dairy place, ice cream dairy place there in town, the mom and dad's dairy bar, as it's called. And uh, Graham had, uh, I mean, yeah, Hayden had worked a shift earlier in the day, and these guys came through, and they had got some food, and 
Then they came back later in the day, and Graham was working, and they said, hey, man, I thought you were getting off at 8. And Graham's like, what, what are you talking about? And then he says, oh, I think you're talking about my brother. You're like, whoa, that was your brother? That wasn't you? One time we were, uh, several years ago, we were at a pizza place. We're sitting at the table. We're all just talking, this family laughing. And this little dude comes up. He's like, he's about five or six. Don't know who he is. Never seen him before or since. He comes up to the other table and he's just kind of staring. He's looking back and forth. And he goes, hey, do y'all know that dude looks like that dude? We're like, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We know that. But you know what? That's actually what it's supposed to be in our Christian life. Christ has this way about him. He is a way of humility and obedience and perseverance and a way of fighting against sin. This is what Christ has done. And now that the Spirit lives in us, we, this dude, should look like that dude. This should be a family resemblance, or as the Bible refers to it as this image of God being worked in us. In Colossians chapter 3, it talks about that we've been created anew in Christ Jesus, and now that image should be renewed in us. We should look like Him. It's a family resemblance. There's also some family traits, I mean, some family blessings, and that is this inheritance and this access. Did you notice it there in verse 15? That you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Remember how when Jesus was here on earth, something would be going on and he would retreat out and he would pray. He would have access to the Father as part of as being the Son. We would not have that access in our own nature. But because we have been united to Christ. By the Spirit, because we have believed in Christ, we now have access to God so that we can come to Him and cry out, Father, help me. Hey, this past week, my family, we were down at Scioto Hills Christian Camp down there. I was serving as a camp pastor for their high school camp. Great week, loved it. Time in the Word, time with high school students, super awesome time. There was a couple of times, because my whole family there was, especially with my six-year-old, she was scared to death of whatever we were doing. It's like, hey, jump off that. I don't know why it is about camp. You know, the rest of life, I'm not encouraging her to jump off of high things. But at camp, I'm like, yeah, give it a shot. Jump off. Jump off that. Jump off that. See how it goes. And so sure enough, we were out on one of these little floating dock things, whatever, and she was supposed to jump into the lake. And she's like, dad, are you going to catch me? Dad, are you going to catch me? Over and over again, yes, yes, I'm going to catch you. Hey, what'd you say? Yeah, no, I'm going to catch you. Yeah, please, yes, I come jump. You know what? She never believed me. She never would jump. Or maybe she believed me. She just couldn't get up the nerve. She couldn't jump. There are times where I've wandered from the Lord, and I wonder, is he there for me? He seems so far away. I'm going through this struggle right now. He seems so far away. Maybe there's something really hard that's been happening to you. And you've been hesitant to turn it all over to the Lord. Paul says here, because you're his child, you can cry out, Father, help me. What a comfort. That you don't have to just look to anyone else. You can actually look to the God who can control, has the power and the wisdom to bring good through hard things. 
We have access to him. How does Hebrews say it? Because of Christ opening up this new and living way, giving us access. We have access because of Christ. We can now approach the throne of grace boldly and find help, mercy in our time of need. Because we're children. We have entrance. We can come in. So Paul says that you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and therefore can now cry, Abba, Father. We belong to the family so we can call on God as Father. My encouragement to you this morning, whatever it is, maybe it's your sin and you sheepishly don't want to go to Him as Father and admit and confess that sin. Do so. Let Him discipline you as a son or a daughter, but let, at the same time, renew and restore that relationship and fellowship with Him. Maybe, again, it's a struggle and a suffering that you have yet to trust to Him, and you're just trying to gut your way through it. You're trying to control the circumstance. Let go. Let God be at work in you through this thing. Cry out to Him as Father. Let's look here at these last verses. Notice it here in verse uh, 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. You remember how in the previous verse he talks about not following back into this fear? This fear that we're, we're going to be left out by God, we're, we're going to be isolated from God, that we're going to be consumed by our circumstances. Don't fall back into fear, but instead cry out to Him as Father. Here he picks up it this way, that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know that self-doubt that you have? Yeah, I know I've prayed and received Christ. I know I've submitted my life to Him, but I'm really struggling right now. Does He even listen? Does He even care? He says, the Spirit now bears witness in your spirit that you are His child. I have a quick test for you. I said there was no test. Well, I won't grade you on it. Ooh. Wow, that's something. So far, God's approving. No, I'm just kidding. I'm completely kidding. Completely kidding. He likes tests. No. Uh, here's the test. You want to you know... If you're a child of God, the litmus test of Scripture is this. Have you believed in Christ and trusted Him as your Lord? You're like, whoa, Jason, that's too simple. Uh, I was expecting a list. I had my pen out. I was going to write. No, that's the way it works. Because what happens when you believe in Christ and submit to Him as your Lord The Holy Spirit of God lives in you, and if the Spirit lives in you, then He bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. That's how it works. Now, you say, but isn't there more to living the Christian life? Oh yeah, that's another question. And that is a constant submitting ourselves to the work of the Spirit in our life. Reading the Word and being convicted of our sins. Guided into truth by the Spirit who's inspired those texts. Guiding us and prodding us to... If you would confess our sin and repent and turn from our sin. These are all the ongoing work of the Spirit in the life of the Christian. If we're children then, we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also might be glorified with Him. Here Paul, especially in verse 17, is making a point about Christ and us. Remember, I said earlier, there's this pile of things that belong to Christ. He adds here... That Christ is the heir. He is the heir. But as we've been united to Him by faith and the Spirit, we are then co-heirs or joint heirs with Him. 
So another way to put that is all the things that belong to Christ belong to him for who he is and what he has done. They are his as the son. Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2 says that because he is the son, he has been given the nations as his inheritance. That belongs to him. As the agent of creation, there in God, with God in creation, the Son rightly owns all things in his own nature. Colossians chapter 1. So those are his, by his own nature, his own sonship. But watch this. Because we have been adopted as children, we now share in that inheritance. What is not ours by our nature is ours by the adoption of God. We've been adopted and we now belong. And as children of God, by adoption through the Spirit, we've become fellow heirs with Christ. And all that goodness that's in the pile of Christ now applies to us. We share in that. His life, His righteousness, all of creation, relationship with God. Finally, he puts it this way, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He adds that because the the call to believe in Christ is always a call to come and die. You see, to believe in Christ is not just submitting to him, it's dying to self. Remember how Jesus said it? If anyone wants to come after me, he needs to take up his cross and deny himself daily, dying and follow me. It, to come to Jesus is to come and die to that old self and those desires and our self-rule that we become so accustomed to. We die to those things, and if we die to those things, then we, and that's the suffering. It, it's hard for us to die to those things. But if we die to those things, then we'll also share with Him and His glory, that resurrection glory the wholeness that God and only God can work in us. This is Paul's good words to us. So I want to finish this morning with a a few questions and comments for you. The first one is this. It's a question. Does the Spirit live in you? I said earlier, if you believe in Christ, trusted Him as Lord and Savior, And the Spirit has come to live in you. So now I'll put it in the question, fitting with Romans 8, does the Spirit live in you? The remarkable benefits of the Spirit that we've been talking about in this sermon, from this text, these remarkable benefits, connecting us to Christ, giving us eternal life, joining us to God's family, all those other things only come if we have faith in Christ. Only if we've trusted Him as Lord. Romans 10. If we've been united to Christ by faith, then the Spirit lives in us. So I ask again, does He live in you? If you're, an, uh, if you're considering the Christian faith right now, let me just say one thing. You're absolutely where you should be. It's great that you're here. This church welcomes you as you consider it. There's no pressure from this church for you to believe so that you can be here. Instead, we would say, listen to the Spirit. The Spirit calls you to come and die and join in with this faith family as a believer, then do so. So does the Spirit live in you? Secondly, Christian, are you living a life 
that looks like Christ. Remember, does, does this dude look like that dude? Is there a family resemblance between you and your life and Christ's life? As God's children adopted through His Spirit, we are in His family. So we should have a family resemblance with our brother, Jesus, the Son. Our life by the Spirit should include putting to death the deeds of the body. That's our everyday practice. Because we're in a battle against all sorts of dark powers, it's an everyday practice to put to death the deeds of the body. And also, we're marked by fellowship with God. Remember, we can cry out to Him as our Father. So is that what's happening in your life? Are you regularly crying out to Him and your prayer life to Him as Father? Have you reached out to Him about your sin, about your struggle, about your hopes, about what you should do? Have you reached out to Him about His Word? He's your Father. Are you living that life that looks like Christ's life? And third and finally, by the way, we've done a little bit of this together earlier. Stan led us and the team led us. Here's the encouragement. Praise God who gives the inheritance of eternal life with Him. This is God's merciful good gift to us. Once we see how amazing this good gift, this eternal life that not only begins after our death, but is already being worked in us now. What a great gift this is, we praise God. Our God has acted decisively toward us. Remember, He demonstrated His own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He acted decisively and lovingly toward us when we were sinners. Christ died for us. His death, Christ's death, pays our sin debt so that we can be freed from the body of death and instead we can walk in the life of Christ. We can fellowship with God. Being united to Christ by faith means that we will be resurrected as He was. Praise God. So my question, my encouragement, praise God who gives the inheritance of eternal life. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, our hope is in you. Lord, as we now turn to a chance for us to respond, both in singing, or some may even want to come forward and speak to those who are here to speak to them. Lord, this is a time for us to respond to your call, the call of your word, to come and die as a follower, or come and renew our walk with you as a child who has wandered. Lord, help us now to respond to your good gift of Christ for us, your good gift of the Spirit that binds us to you. Help us now to respond in however way we should to the great work of Christ in whose name we pray.